Well, welcome to Midday, everyone, across the Rural Radio Network. It is a Thursday. We have Jason Jorgensen, Bob Brogan, Clay Patton all ready to tell us what's coming up on the big program today. And uh, another hot one for us out there, so I hope you stay hydrated. Uh, what's going on in ag right now, Clay? Well, speaking of hot, I'm learning the drawbacks very quickly of a black vehicle. Oh, absolutely. Is it leather, too? Just it's, to oh, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. It's good, like bacon good. every time I get in, just that nice sizzle. <laughs> nice. Oh. All right, farm team today. We start out with 1219. Susan is in and grain marketing. Of course, that's one of the toughest challenges when you are a producer is when to market, how to market your grain. So Susan is talking with uh, this company's just came around. It's Farm Lead and it's their online grain market option. So they're helping to market online grain. Very interesting concept. And Susan's on with that at 1219. At 1245, Shaley's talking with Jason Griffin on K State's Horticultural horticulture center possibly closing and uh, kind of going into some of the budget details and what's going on there and then bruce gorder's on at 117 with some new technology and how to predict and forecast possible uh, insects and uh, pest control in your fields okay all right boy tough to see horticulture closing a center closing like that especially today with everything changing exactly and and again it, it looks like it's coming from budget cuts coming from the t- top down so uh, I don't know. Excited to hear more and learn more yeah. what Shaley has on that one. All right. We'll look forward to that coming up here. Jason, uh, the fortnight continues on the grass courts at Wimbledon. It does. And Serena Williams was a winner. So it she moves just on keeps through, the, rolling. through the semis. Of course, things have really opened up this year's tournament with all top, the top 10 seeds all right. going down. And, you know, she was in an interesting position having missed last year because she was uh, pregnant. And then she comes back this year, and she might end up winning the whole thing. So hmm. yeah, well, that's if a good anyone story. could do that, it would be her. Also, we'll talk some Husker football. Nebraska suffered its first academic casualty as part of its 2018 recruiting class. Uh, they were really counting on three-star offensive tackle Willie Canty to come in and make a difference, but he wasn't able to get the grades to where they needed to be. So he is going to spend another year at Garden City Community College, but he says his plans eventually are to head up to Nebraska. He'll have two years to play for the Huskers instead of three. And also we are getting closer and closer here in July. Big Ten football media days are just around the corner. Big 12 football media days are also coming up. And the Big 12, they have released their uh, preseason all-conference team couple K-Staters are on it. We'll tell you more about that. I saw a great tweet by Lee Barfnick of the Omaha World Herald, and uh, Lee brings up a good point. The Big Ten does not put out a preseason all-conference team. They don't. They do never they? have, yeah. which doesn't make a lot of sense. Hmm. I know, is, I know is folks this, like, to, is know, this, they like to argue with Lee from time to time, right. but Lee's right about that. Makes sense. Is this Big 12 media that does the preseason? Yeah, yeah okay. this particular one. I'll be darned. Well, we'll have to check on that. Bob, We stocks have recovered a little bit today. Technology stocks are leading the uh, the rest of the market pretty well, and uh, so that's looking pretty good. Uh, President Trump has landed in Great Britain for his first U.K. visit. He's going to attend a gala dinner. Can you imagine the manners you'd have to have for a dinner? Uh, good gosh. Uh, can, <laughs> I mean, in that kind of setting. Right. Oh, yeah. Some of the the stories we have. All right. Very good. Well, that's all coming up on...
Time for us to take a look at our regional weather that affects agriculture. And uh, Paul Perkins in here with me. And, and as we're looking at some ridiculous dew points right now. It's just hot, hot, hot. Exactly, yeah. Actual air temperatures for most of us right now in the upper 80s to the low 90s. Some mid to upper 80s basically from about Ord to Broken Bow and North Platte and points to the northwest. But as you figure in those dew points, which in many areas is in the upper 60s to low 70s, Anytime it gets above 65, you're starting to feel that humidity. The dew point in southwest Iowa right now towards about 77. Those heat index readings, what it feels like with both the temperature and the humidity. In much of Nebraska, the low, uh, Nebraska, northern Kansas, the low and mid-90s for heat index readings. But eastern Nebraska and Kansas on into southwest Iowa, upper 90s to low 100s already for Feels like greenings at eleven thirty this morning. <laughs> if you're in if you're in Nebraska City right now, we feel for you. Hundred and three right now, but we could see some changes maybe coming. Exactly. Yeah. Today's probably going to be the last of uh, the heat and humidity for a while. We will be once again humid and warmer than normal today, just ahead of a front that's currently from southern South Dakota into northwest Nebraska. The heat and humidity make it feel like one hundred to one hundred five in many locations. The higher Heat index readings on into the east. That front sinking to the south and acting as a focal point for thunderstorms to develop late today and tonight. A few strong storms are possible in northern Nebraska or to the north of Highway 92. Wind gusts in excess of 50 are the main concerns. It looks like Ainsworth and O'Neill and points to the northeast look to see the better chance of severe weather. Temperatures become more seasonal for tomorrow into early next week. As we go to more of a westerly flow, spotty thunderstorms are possible as we see multiple disturbances pass through. Widespread thunderstorm chances look to be the best with a couple of cold fronts tomorrow night and again Sunday night. Some heavy rain will also be possible. A few storms could be strong to severe. Widespread severe weather, though, not anticipated. Now, even though it's too far too far out to tell for sure tuesday night into wednesday also looks to be promising for some more thunderstorms in the next seven days the weather prediction center which is with the national weather service expects at least one to two inches of rain to fall in nebraska in the next seven days in the northern half of kansas about three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half and you can see that map on our facebook page daytime highs by the middle part of next week look to be about 10 degrees cooler than normal that verifies in our long-term forecast Temperature is likely to be slightly cooler than normal in Nebraska the middle of next week. Then we'll trend more seasonal or near normal by next weekend through July 25th. Something to note, next weekend through Monday the 23rd, on average, the three warmest days of the year in Nebraska. So keep that in mind. It starts going downhill after that. So the peak of summer next weekend, the Kansas temperature outlook expects near normal or seasonal temperatures Tuesday through the 25th. Our precipitation outlook in Nebraska and Kansas expects near normal to slightly above normal rainfall Tuesday through July 25th. The better chances of more rain over southern Nebraska into Kansas. In the drought monitor released today, Nebraska held steady at 99% drought-free. Abnormal dryness to moderate drought still continues in Richardson County in the far southeast. Kansas saw a 7% point increase and is 34% drought-free now. It's drought-free in the north, central, and much of the west, or along and west of the line from Washington to Osborne and Ulysses. Southeast of that Washington, Osborne, and Ulysses line, it's abnormally dry to a severe drought. The second highest stage of drought exists from Alma to Newton. Weather factors affecting market trade include a round of 
Midsummer rain for the Midwest in the seven-day forecast and midweek rain for the Canadian prairies in the Midwest. Moderate to heavy rain is forecast to develop along with more seasonal temperatures this next week. Drought conditions have greatly intensified, though, in Missouri recently. But just to the north of Missouri, the northwestern Midwest will have a new round of flooding potential due to heavy rain. The southern plains will see varying amounts of rain chances in the next week. Northern sectors will see frequent occurrences of light to moderate rain. Southern areas will remain mostly dry. The heat also will be stressful for the summer crops and pastures in southern areas of the Midwest. Southeast Colorado now in level four or the highest stage of drought. Recent rain totals in the Canadian Prairie show south central areas had moderate to locally heavy amounts recently with light to moderate totals elsewhere. Rainfall chances in the next week in the Canadian Prairies most likely to be light. A turn to cooler weather should favor their crop development. All we'll know, though, for today, one more day of heat and humidity and then more typical weather in the next several days. Well, I approve of that forecast. <laughs> Especially it's, some rain chances. <laughs> it's been a while since I've approved of any of your forecast. <laughs> and by the way, I lived in southeast Colorado. They're always in a drought down there. Yeah, it it's, that, like it's, it's dry. It's, it, and it's ironic that actually a fair amount of southwest Kansas is now drought-free after they wow. were heavily entrenched in a drought situation there for a while. But we, they're we, actually recovered in much of western Kansas. Well, good. Good. We talked about that, hoping that it would drift down there. So thank you, Paul. Our uh, weather brought to you this time by Coolman Repair and Holdridge Irrigation. Paul, if you need to find out about weather, where do you go? Anytime at krvn.com. Two guys, a goal to make marketing easier for the farmer. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Brennan Turner back in 2013, along with a friend, had a goal to make more confidence in grain marketing for producers. I caught up with Brennan to find out more about what FarmLead is all about. FarmLead is an online grain marketplace where farmers and credit-verified credit farmer, buyers are able to independently list their deals that they're looking to make. Uh, negotiate directly with one another around specific trade terms like price, quantity, freight terms, when is the grain going to move, etc., and ultimately execute that contract. And throughout the entire uh, prospecting, negotiation, and execution phase of any cash grain trade, um, FarmLead is going to support both sides of the trade. So it, uh, it is effectively opening up the markets to both sides of the trade to more than just kind of the local option, so to speak. Um, and as a result, maximizing the opportunities that uh, each side can, can benefit from. I saw on your website you talk about it a better way to market grain. Kind of explain that. Well, in traditionally in grain trade, I mean, I, I come from a farm. My family are fairly large farmers in Saskatchewan. We have some friends and family that farm in, in North Dakota as well. And when it comes to selling grain, we, we tend to stick pretty local, which is fine for the majority of times. Um, again, I'll be the first to admit 60 to 70% of our, our grain that we sell any given year is going to go to pretty much one of three options. But it's that 30 to 40% of grain trade where I got to make a couple more phone calls or maybe the local option isn't paying the best possible price or I've got lower quality or I've got better and, and above average quality and I'm looking to get that premium. And so at the end of the day, um, that opportunity cost of, of the time and energy and potentially money that you're going to pay somebody to go find that better deal for you is uh, pretty significant. And so we've driven this process online 
and uh, to the tune of, I mean, really hundreds of millions of dollars of the grain trade successfully happening through the farmland marketplace to date. Um, it is the better way in terms of in terms of finding the best possible price for your grain. So in many ways, it goes back to the way grains used to be traded, you know, where you just met with a buyer and said, this is what I have to offer. And somebody on the other side of the table said yes or no. And you kind of take out that middleman by by all means. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, we, we don't we don't restrict who can play ball in the marketplace because at the end of the day, there is a, a lot of different moving parts. The one thing we do restrict is the, the companies who cannot meet our robust credit requirements. We partner with Dun & Bradstreet to make sure that Every single buyer in our system is credit worthy and can actually pay for the grain. And so that's why we've had zero issues of, of non-payment on the farm lane marketplace. And, and I mean, that's the biggest thing is the idea of selling my grain online is maybe a little bit scary. But again, with literally hundreds of millions of dollars of grain successfully paid for through our platform, um, it's clear that things are working. So how does somebody get started with farm lead? There's no cost to register, which is a beautiful thing. We, we don't charge a membership fee or anything like that. Um, there's no hurdles or hoops to jump through. You literally sign up an account with your email and, and mailing address, basically the name of your farm, uh, where basically you want the checks for said grain to get uh, paid to, and uh, outline your preferences. Hey, I'm growing corn, I'm growing soybeans. And then it's up to you if you want to post some grain. There's three different types of, of offers that you can post your grain for sale on the marketplace. You can negotiate. Um, so, so negotiate around all the terms, the movement period, the price, just as I previously mentioned. And you can find out more about Farm Lead by going to farmlead.com. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, Serena Williams has reached her 10th final at Wimbledon, 30th at a Grand Slam tournament, and the first since having a baby a little more than 10 months ago. Williams dominated much of her semifinal today, winning 6-2, 6-4 at center court. Williams will now face German 11-seeded Angelique Kerber on Saturday in a rematch of the 2016 final at Wimbledon. Nebraska suffered its first academic casualty as part of the 2018 football recruiting class this week. Garden City Community College three-star offensive tackle Willie Canty has decided he will play another season of Juco ball before joining the Huskers. And Kansas State offensive lineman Dalton Reisner and defensive back Kendall Adams have been named to the preseason All-Big 12 team as chosen by media representatives who cover the league. It's the second straight year that Reisner, a preseason All-American by numerous publications, has been named to the preseason All-Big 12 squad. Well, this makes sense. Two-time national champion and 2007 Heisman Trophy winner Tim Tebow will be inducted into Florida's Ring of Honor, becoming just the sixth player to receive that accolade. The school made that announcement this week that Tebow will be recognized during their game with LSU on October 6th. And Triple Crown winner Justify has swelling in his left front ankle and has been taken out of training to see if the swelling subsides. Trainer Bob Baffert says Justify will be reevaluated in a few weeks. Baffert told the Daily Racing Forum this week that Justify will ship to Del Mar and be part of his stable based at the track. And finally, Croatia is going to wear its red and white Czech shirts again at the World Cup. FIFA says the Croatian team will be in its signature checkerboard design to play France in the final on Sunday. It's the first time in more than four weeks the team will be seen in its most familiar uniform. Now, Croatia wore its change shirt of black and blue checks in its five games since 
mostly against teams that played in red or white. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. For today, partly cloudy, a stray shower or thunderstorm is possible. High 94. Winds south to southeast at 10 to 20 mile an hour. For tonight, partly to mostly cloudy with scattered showers and thunderstorms overnight. Lows in the upper 60s. Winds east to southeast at 10 to 15. Chance of rain at 50%. For tomorrow, variable clouds with scattered thunderstorms. High 82. Winds east at 5 to 10. Chance of rain at 60%. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Evan Jones. Death Row inmate Carrie Dean Moore is scheduled to be executed by lethal injection in Nebraska on August 14th. The 60-year-old Moore was convicted of killing two Omaha cab drivers five days apart in 1979 and was sentenced to death in 1980. He has said he will not contest his execution. Governor Pete Ricketts supports the execution. We received a date and it's just another step in the process so we'll just keep moving forward to, uh, you know, through the process. Uh, obviously it's a uh, there's a lot of legal opportunities. If somebody wants to challenge or something, there may, that may infringe upon it. But uh, again, this is something that people of Nebraska have spoken very clearly that they want. And uh, it's, my administration has been working with uh, Director Frakes to, and the Attorney General to be able to make this happen. And so we've been going down the process, and this is another step in it. Nebraska's three Catholic bishops opposed the execution, saying an act of mercy would not compromise justice. No one has been executed in Nebraska in 21 years. Last year, student and faculty members from UNL and the Minority Health Disparities Initiative conducted a survey in Lexington to see how life is for minorities in a town. Angela Palmer Wackerly said the results were surprisingly good. I actually feel like they belong in Lexington and have a strong sense of community and feel like they have a lot of support. Um, there were about a third that have experienced discrimination. Like I said, that's actually lower than what we see in a lot of other communities across the U.S. So I think that there are some really good things going on here in Lexington that we want want to try to understand a little bit more, but then also try to replicate in other areas that maybe aren't having as positive as experience for community members. Wackerly said the next step is to address some of the issues that were uncovered. A big problem for many is finding adequate, affordable health care. The attorney representing seven immigrant children who are still in the care of a Kansas nonprofit after being separated from their parents at the border says polices put in place by the Office of Refugee Resettlement are barriers to reuniting them with their families. Immigration attorney Claire Murphy Shaw said Wednesday one holdup in a Kansas case is a backlog in processing the parents' fingerprints. Another barrier is the $1,000 or more in airfare for the child and an accompanying adult. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at KRVN.com. From the News Center, I'm Evan Jones. A K-State Horticulture Center is facing closure due to budget cuts. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Our guest today to visit with us about that is director of the John C. Para Horticulture Center in Hayesville, Kansas, Jason Griffin. And Jason, this is not a position that anyone or any facility wants to find themselves in. Give us a little bit of an update on what's going on, the budget cuts, what's coming into play as you guys face closure. Sure. Thanks for having me, Shaley. Uh, it's always nice to visit with our neighbors to the north. 
Um, so we here at the John Perry Horticulture Center are a 47-year-old facility. We've been doing horticulture research and extension activities for 47 years, and that, that includes everything from peach and apple orchards to turf grass and flowers to fruits and vegetables, and my particular area of expertise is, is trees and shrubs. Um, so we've been doing that uh, at a research station a little south of Wichita, Kansas for 47 years, and recently uh, we got some news due to some budget cuts to the university, uh, several years of, of budget cuts, and now enrollment down for a couple of years that, you, as you said, we are on the hot seat. And administration is looking to uh, close this facility and uh, eliminate the, the salaries of the folks that are working here as, as a dollar savings. And we're doing our best to try and change their minds. Now, is it absolutely certain that you guys are going to close? What has been the reaction? You mentioned ahead of time that you've had a lot of feedback since the announcement was made that you guys could be closing. What does that look like now? Is it a for sure thing or do you have some options? So initially it was, yes, not, this is going to happen um, and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, fortunately, um, you know, we often in academia, we, we sometimes wonder, do we really matter? Are we really making a difference? Um, I found out after this announcement that, yes, we are making a difference because the outpouring of support from industry, community members, uh, elected officials has, has just been tremendous. It's been remarkable. And I believe because of that outpouring of support, um, administration has given us four months to develop uh, an advisory board and to try and come up with a plan to raise revenue so that this facility becomes entirely self-sustaining so that we don't cost the university anything. Um, that's going to be difficult. Uh, the number they've thrown at us is uh, $230,000 a year. That'll cover the operating of the facility plus the salaries of, of the three staff that currently work here. So that's, that's the option we've, that we've been given. And that's the advisory board's task is to um, try and come up with some ways to, to raise some funds. So if you would, go ahead and lay it out for us. Scenario A, you guys go ahead and shut down. The center closes. And then scenario B, you guys stay open. I know you had mentioned that to be able to stay open, you essentially have to be sustainable, self-funded. And so what does that look like? I'm sure there are hurdles involved, but definitely benefits to keeping the center open as well. So if we, if we shut down, um, the, the, my job is secure in that um, I'll be moved to Manhattan uh, to, to main campus, and I'll have a, a new position there. Um, the, the folks here will be laid off. The equipment will probably be auctioned off, and I'm not sure what happens with the land. I'm not sure what the, the deed agreement is, is there. If it doesn't shut down, then we have to um, look at ways of raising some revenue. We already are in some respects. One of our projects here is we, we produce certified organic sweet potato slips, which is a, a definitely a growing uh, industry here, here in the state of Kansas. We're um, growing these the slips that we ship out to organic growers, and they, they grow their sweet potato crop from them, and that is generating some revenue. Uh, we're going to have to do more things like that, and as part of a diversified agriculture state, hopefully, we play an important part of that uh, as far as helping the nursery industry, as far as helping the landscape industry, and as far as getting new plant crops, um, new varieties out there for folks to try. You mentioned the response you've had already. I'm sure you'll continue to get response, Jason, in regards to this. 
If somebody is looking to support you in any way, wants to give you their feedback or even maybe donate monetarily if that's an option, what's the best way for people to go about doing that? So we're asking people to contact college administration, the College of Ag Administration, and let them know that um, it's just crazy that they want to shut down a, a horticulture facility. Um, and to, to f- we're really enjoying that sort of support. Um, we are. We have been told that we are not allowed to collect donations at this point because, as far as they're concerned, the facility is still closing and they don't want to raise money for a facility that's closing. However, we are taking, uh, I've got a list of names and people have, without any lobbying, without any uh, uh, going after any fundraising, people have been emailing and calling with, with pledges and, and support. And so I've got a list of people who have, who have pledged dollars, and uh, so that is another option as well. Our guest here again today, Jason Griffin. He is K-State's John Pear Horticulture Center in Hayesville, Kansas director. He talks to us about facing being shut down due to budget cuts and some of the options they may have on a pretty short time frame. And for more on this, visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening today to the Rural Radio Network. Afternoon, Dewey Nelson with a market report on the Rural Radio Network. Shortly before the close, we are rallying in corn as well as wheat futures, even bringing back the soybeans to green. September corn, 345 and a half. December, 358 and three quarters, both up five and a half. July soybeans last traded three and three quarters lower. August up one and three quarters at 834 and three quarters. September, 840 and a half, up two and a half. November, 850 and a quarter, up two. Chicago, September wheat, 484 and a half, up 12 and three quarters. December, 501 and three quarters, up 11 and a quarter. Kansas City, September wheat, 481 and a half, up seven and a half. December, 506 and a quarter, also up seven and a half. Minneapolis, September wheat, 529 and three quarters, up four and a quarter. We end the day with a rally in cattle and hog futures led by the hogs. Triple digit gains in almost all contracts of hogs. August live cattle settled 10502 up 117 October 10760 up 135 December 11157 up 90 February 11595 up 82 August feeder cattle at 15102 was up 162 September settled 15097 up 155 October 15127 up 132 November 15107 up 67 July lean hogs settled seventy nine ninety five up seventeen, but August was up a dollar sixty two at seventy forty two, and October up a dollar ninety two at fifty three ninety five. Wall Street, the Dow up one ninety two at twenty four thousand eight ninety three, Nasdaq at a record up eighty eight at seven thousand eight oh five, S and P five hundred up twenty two at two thousand seven ninety five. Country music superstar Clay Walker live in concert. I can make a living out of loving you. I'd be a millionaire in a week. Friday, July 20th at the Saline County Fair in Creek. With special guest Forgotten if Highway. Now, Get your tickets at eventbrite.com or at the Saline County Fair box office to see Clay Walker live. I just want to live until I die. 
Think about this. Less than four in ten Americans can name any of the five freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment. Yet, 31% of Americans think the First Amendment goes too far. Do you know your five freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment? Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. Freedom to peaceful assembly. Freedom to petition the government. Think first. Go to thinkfirstamendment.org to learn more. This message is sponsored and aired by Media of Nebraska and this station. Next, we talk livestock futures with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, nice rebound today in uh, all sectors of uh, the livestock market. So uh, you haven't heard of really any trade in the cattle, but uh, uh, we certainly uh, bounced back this morning. Uh, it seems like uh, uh, some of the things that came out of the NATO meeting gave some hints that maybe uh, things are getting better as far as uh, the tariffs are concerned, but that was just your speculation. Uh, but that helped us off to a better start, and uh, uh, we stayed there all day long. I think we got some pretty good short covering uh, in the cattle and the feeders, and then you can also include the uh, hogs. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, the cutouts were lower again in the cattle, uh, a fairly light test. So that didn't uh, hurt anything. We still managed to close higher. The feeders, uh, despite the fact that the uh, corn uh, came out higher from the uh, crop report, uh, they stayed higher with triple-digit gains in the uh, first three months so all in all uh, a fairly decent day and i think most of it coming from being uh, short from short covering and uh, being oversold in the hogs the cash uh, there was a little bit softer uh, the uh, cutouts were higher though we started out uh, on the, a little bit better but i think from the standpoint uh, the back end really showed the most strength with triple-digit gains, I think that's coming from being oversold and uh, to discount to uh, the current uh, index. So, all in all, positive day for livestock all the way around. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities at 800-328-0134. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Rural Radio Network. There's a new tool available to help you as a producer better predict when and where certain insects will show up on your farm. Mike Sandstrom is the founder of Insect Forecast. He explains the concept. Well, Insect Forecast is a proactive forecasting tool that helps the growers understand what kind of insect pressure they're seeing in their fields for their specific area. Uh, we do pot cutworm, corn rootworm, soybean aphid, corn earworm, western bean cutworm and so the growers uh each area in midwest has uh, specific pressure from these different insects and so this forecast really gives them a heads up if they're going to have problems in their field to whether they should go out and spray or not how is this forecast different mike than uh, what we have uh, used before as far as uh, looking at insect pressure well the the big thing here uh, is using the most recent thresholds that the extension folks in the at the universities use and then uh this really gives a proactive approach to what's out there so it's not a problem that the insects are already appearing this can give the growers a heads up ahead of time so they know whether or not they should treat okay so it's like you're looking at migration uh, type movement that type of thing Correct. Depending on the specific insect, like for corn earworms, that's definitely a migratory event. But others, uh, such as western bean cutworm, which is a huge problem in certain areas of Nebraska, 
that's more of a locally developing thing. So that's where we can really look at how the pest or the insect interacts uh, and grows, either whether it migrates or it develops locally, and then we can forecast based on that. Mike, what types of pressure are you seeing uh, right now for the growers in western Iowa and uh, most of Nebraska? I'm sure uh, corn rootworm is, is a major problem. Uh, talk about that and what, el- what other uh, items you're seeing. Yeah, definitely uh, corn rootworm can be a problem, especially in areas with continuous corn uh, or areas historically that have seen pressure. Um, but probably right now another one of the bigger things is actually western bean cutworm uh, especially in uh, central and southern parts of the state. We are going through peak flight right now for that specific insect, and growers should, it's nothing new, obviously, to that area, but growers should really get out and scout the fields and check their traps if they have them and potentially take you know necessary action to protect the crop because the flight is fairly intense this year, and it's ongoing right now. Mike, how can a grower get uh, in, get this information and, and get to insectforecast.com, and, and how, do, how, does they, how do they get involved with this program? Well, step one is to go to www.insectforecast.com, and once you're on the website, uh, you can see uh, the different forecasts, which are updated on a daily basis. And so it's, it's up to the, the day information that they're going to see. And then there's a spot on there that they can go in and, and log in with their uh, email or to sign up, and then they'll get alerts sent to them through their email whenever I issue an elevated risk for any specific insect for their area. Is there a cost to the growers for this, uh, Mike? No, this is absolutely free. Uh, this is sponsored by Monsanto SmartStacks brand, so uh, the growers, they don't have to worry about a cost at all. Uh, this is provided free of charge. Okay, well, it sounds like a great program, and especially right now with the, with the great pressure coming on. So uh, we hope uh, a lot of folks take advantage of that. Uh, once again, how do they uh, get involved with you? Uh, just log in to www.insectforecast.com and sign up for the alerts. The service is free, so we invite you to give it a try. That's Mike Sandstrom. He's the founder of Insect Forecast. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. older. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network and today's World Agricultural Supply Demand Estimates was viewed as bullish at least for corn and wheat and that's what happened today. We ended up higher and that even pulled soybeans up at the close. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. I I guess the best question might be why did wheat in Chicago gain on Kansas City, even though the report was somewhat neutral for wheat? Well, a couple of reasons. One, the export numbers in wheat were, were downright pathetic this morning. I think it was the lowest number on hard red wheat we've ever had at this time of the year. So it was almost nothing, and that's a little bit of a concerning concerning data point for the trade to get over the short in the short term. And then on the other side of it, Chicago, while it didn't have good good exports, Chicago's kind of a proxy for these Russian markets that are, I guess, in flux right now. The USDA dropped uh, production in Russia and uh, dropped production over in Europe, and I think that is kind of the proxy for that, where we'll see rallying come from those markets. So that was what we saw today. I mean, decent price action after the number came out. Uh, you know, certainly still remain cheap across the board, but I'm not as a uh, not as pessimistic, I think, as I was maybe about 9.30 this morning. Yes, but the report's now done. Now what do we trade? Well, it'll be a crop tour and weather and guesses about production. Uh, that's really where we're at, besides the whole Donald Trump 
you know, uh, China story uh, that'll continue to kind of dominate here. So starting with corn, a very, very bullish number, probably the biggest, you know, most bullish report we've had in a long time, 1.5 billion bushel carryout, um, you know, stocks to use around 11, 12%, which is very, very bullish. We don't have a lot of access to corn supply around that will be there at the end of next year. So all of this is being talked about in a vacuum. It's not how much corn we have now, it's how much corn we're going to have at the end of you know, September 1 of 2019, and uh, in reality, we're looking at having to budget at this point. Uh, I think the big debate now will be, what is the yield? They didn't touch yields today. They, they kept them just below 175, um, and so it'll be a debate, just like in the last couple of years where you and I talk about the, you know, pro-farmer crop tour and what they're going to see, and everybody's debating on 163 to 167, and in the last few years, the USDA and those examples came out of like a 172 and kind of shocked the trade to the bearer side. Maybe we get that this year where everybody's talking about 180, 182, and they come out at a 176. I think if, if the yields aren't there, I think price is way too low. If we do a 182, we're probably right where we need to be. Regardless, though, I think next summer really is going to be kind of a tight, tight growing season for corn, especially in the globe. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, go to the website, Daniels Ag Marketing in, uh, DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.